stand up with me tonight, and we're going to pray, and we're going to get into the Word of God. Lord, we just thank you that we are coming to the Word of God. This is the Word of God. And we thank you, Lord, for building us up in the faith. We thank you, Lord, that even in this kind of uh, inclement weather, we have not come in vain. But, oh, no, Lord, you're here to visit us and to build us up in the faith. And those watching online, we welcome you. We thank God for you. And uh, we welcome you to the Wednesday night service and pray for the same thing for you, that God will bless you right where you are. So, Lord, as we get into the final portion of First Peter, Lord, be with us. Open our eyes. Can you just say tonight, open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before you're seated, let's read what we're going to cover tonight real quickly. Let's put it up there. I want you to read it with me, okay? Here's what we're covering tonight. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, hallelujah, when the chief shepherd appears, he's, he's, you're in my chief shepherd, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Uh-oh. All right, let's go on. Yes, all of you be submissive to who? So say this with me. We're to one another, one another. We're to one another, one another. We're to be submissive to one another. And clothed with arrogance. Oh, I'm sorry. Clothed with humility. For what does God do? He resists the proud. I don't want God resisting me. Right? He resists the proud, but he gives what to the humble? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you in due time. And then next, my favorite verse, one of them, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. Amen. All righty. Last time we ended with Peter's advice for people who are suffering. And you know, the Bible tells the truth about the human uh, condition. We suffer. We suffer a lot. Anybody suffering this week from anything? I mean, psychological, physical, relational, anything we suffer. When you're overwhelmed with suffering, we're to place our trust totally into the faithful hands of God who sees it. And the Lord is too loving to be unkind. He's too wise to make mistakes. And he's too powerful to be thwarted from his purpose. Amen? Now, as we begin chapter 5, coming to the end of the first letter of Peter, Peter leaves the topic of suffering and turns to the topic of shepherding. Now, you being in a local church, though this is aimed at leadership, it, it's also aimed at those that are being led. All right? So this is, now he's going to deal with the function, one of the functions of local church, why God gives local church. 
The elders who are among you, I exhort, verse 1. I'm a fellow elder, says Peter. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I saw it firsthand. And I'm also a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. I know what's coming for me. Amen? Now, and when you do a study like this, words matter. I'm a word guy. Um, I think words are fascinating, especially Bible words, because they matter. All right? The word elder is from a Greek word meaning older in age, which, which puts me out. Amen. Or an elder's spiritual experience and maturity. L- listen carefully. Elders weren't chosen lightly. No, no. They were not chosen based on personal popularity. Oh, he's so likable. Everybody likes him. Make him an elder. No. Nor of their giving or for their giving. You see people buy positions in local church. They purchase it. All right, I'm a big giver, so give me a big position. If you want me to keep being a big giver. Well, if that's your motive, bye-bye. Okay? Because you can't buy a gift of God. Or their business success. Oh, they've done so well in business. Surely they're elder material. Not necessarily. They should be chosen prayerfully and carefully every time. Paul instructed Timothy, very wise words, never be in a hurry about appointing a church elder. Did I read that right? Don't be in a hurry. People pressure you. You better get more elders. Really? No, I'm not going to be in a hurry to get more elders. Um, I'm not going to do it hastily, because if you get a wrong one, you're going to suffer. Everybody is. Okay? Don't share in the sins of others. What does he mean by that? You appoint somebody into an elder position when they're not ready for it. They end up stumbling and falling. And you become implicated as a local church in their sin. So don't share in the sins of others. Don't put yourself in a position of having to be embarrassed by the sins of others who you put into a high position. This is wisdom. This is Paul, the architect of the local church, one of the major of the apostles. He's one of the top architects of the local church. And he's he, or Peter as well. And they're, they're laying foundation. They're telling us how to pick leadership. Paul says this himself over and over again. 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. He deals with all of this. So they must first be tested to see if they're ready for the work. And what's the test? How faithful are they in the hard times? How faithful are they when they don't get what they think they should get? How faithful are they? Do they stick with you when the going gets tough? Or are you just the latest restaurant? Right? Elders were supposed to be men of maturity who had grown up in and become acquainted with Christ. They were not likely to be swayed by the world's temptations. They've been around the mountain a few times. They've proven themselves faithful over time, and they were willing to suffer for his name. In short, the men of the word, they were, they were to be men of the word and seasoned men of God. Okay? Now, this is wisdom for the local church that we should really listen to. 
Not only must the elder be a man of maturity, but he must also be a man of ministry. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. That's a powerful word. Uh, some Bible versions say, feed the flock of God. We remember Jesus saying to, to Peter, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep. Shepherd includes tending the flock, which includes guarding and guiding them. Not just standing up and saying a few things on a Sunday and everybody goes their way. A, a true shepherd, listen to me, church, a true shepherd guards the sheep. He'll, he'll, he'll put himself in the position of being wolf bit to keep you safe. He won't run when the wolves run in. He'll fight them off, even if you don't understand it. Even if you say you're being too mean. No, if it's a really bad wolf, you almost can't be too mean. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you. He's talking to the elders now. So Paul says, preach the word of God. Be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not. When you're not feeling good, when you're up, when you're down, when it's rainy outside and a lot of people haven't come. <laughs> Always be ready. Always be ready. To, to do what? To do what, everybody? Preach what? Hello? Preach the word. Not your own ideas. Not the latest trends and fads. Not motivational seminars. Preach what? The Logos. The word. The Bible. The book. I like calling it the book. Because there's only one the book. Whether it's favorable or not. If, if you're getting persecuted or not if the message is popular or not, whether you feel like it or not, whether the church is doing well or not, you get up there and you preach the word. Patiently. Now I want you all to read these words with me. I want to be sure I'm reading it right. Next verse, please. Patiently. I'm waiting for verse three. Or verse two. There it is. Patiently. Do what, everybody? Correct. Correct rebuke, wait a minute, tell me how that goes over when you correct and rebuke people these days. Oh my, we have become an, uh, an unrebukable generation. Go to some of the college campuses and say anything that they don't want to hear. And they'll kick you off the, the property. They'll assault you. They don't want to hear anything that cramps their style. And they're hardly rebukable. Um, so look what he says. There's times you've got to correct. There's times I need to be corrected. Every time when I get into the Word of God every day, I guarantee you, uh, invariably, um, before the week is out, something in my daily reading has corrected Jeff Wickwire. That's why we need it. You throw the Word out, and you're no longer corrected. And the Bible says that by the fact that we're human, we're going to veer off the right course if we don't have something constantly pulling us back into the narrow way that leads to life. And that's the correction of the Word of God. So leadership sometimes has to correct, sometimes has to rebuke. 
and encourage your people with what, everyone? Good teaching. Sound teaching. So it's not just teaching, it's correcting, rebuking, and encouraging that uh, leadership of a church is to be involved in. The writer of Hebrews encourages believers, obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they do what, everyone? Watch out for your souls. Why do they do that? Because they're going to give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. Do you catch these words now? Please follow it carefully. Leadership should be able to do what they do with joy. Not being given grief. Why? Because it's for your sakes. Because if leadership is always being dumped on and is walking in grief, criticized, undermined, uh, judged, um, so on and so forth, then they start carrying that burden. That means they're not going to pray as good. They're not going to study as good. And I'm going to tell you, they're not going to preach as good. So it starts hurting the congregation. So wise sheep, and I'm a sheep. Listen, I have people that are my leaders. And I know, and I've been in the situation many times where leadership didn't do something I agreed with necessarily. But I knew if I, if I make their position a grief, it's going to hurt me. Because I want them to get up there and spit fire. I want them to get up there and preach good. And I don't want to be counterproductive and bring them to where they don't, they've struggled all week long. Okay? Uh, now, let the, the, the word obey simply means submit to your elders' authority in the church. Now, I like to add this. As long as it is administered in accordance with the teachings of Jesus. You're not going to follow a cult leader. But if it's a solid leader, if the church has solid leadership, then you follow their example and their teaching. Um, Not only, notice this, not only does the elder and the pastor teach, correct, rebuke, and encourage, he watches out for the souls under his care because he knows especially in these days of social media and false teachers on every street corner. Let me tell you something. Um, I got to watch out. I don't look for personalities that are doing wrong. I look for wrong teaching, wrong messages, wrong communication regarding the Christian life or the person of Christ. And and if it's really influencing you, I'm going to stand up and teach against it. I'm going to guard. I'm going to protect whether you want it or not. True pastor will watch out for the approach of wolves into the flock. And they're everywhere at the click of a button on your little iPad. And I'm going to warn you about wolves by the teaching they teach. Then the word teach means to provide pasture. The Lord Jesus told Peter three times after his resurrection, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. There's only one thing a pastor is to feed the sheep with, and that's the Bible, the Word of God. You don't come here on Sundays or Wednesday nights to hear my latest, greatest thoughts, right? And I don't come to teach you my latest, greatest thoughts. No, I dig into the Word, 
I mine it. I make sure that I, to the best of my ability, am interpreting it correctly. And I bring it to you and I give you the green grass of the word of God. Okay? That's what a pastor is supposed to do. The pastor's calling is to do what is described in Nehemiah. Let me show you something interesting in Nehemiah. Nehemiah 8. Listen to this, starting at verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform. Everybody say first pulpit. (laughs) There it is. He stood on a wooden platform, uh, first pulpit, pulpit, and, and that they made for the purpose of him standing up and teaching the word of God. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Everybody say the book. For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. Do you see how they honor the word of God? They stood in honor of the word of God, not in honor of Ezra, in honor of the word of God. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord. This is what the teaching of the word brought them to doing. They bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now look at verse 8, and here's the call of every pastor. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people, people understood the reading. You get it? That goes all the way back into the Old Testament. So they would read, the people would stand up, they'd read the word, and then what do they do? They gave the sense. They gave what the verses meant. So that the people went, ah, I get it, the light's gone off. That's what a pastor is supposed to stand up and do. That's what elders are supposed to stand up and do. Teach you the word of God. You know who I listen to every night? I find some pastor somewhere, and I listen. I'm so glad that Charles Stanley's messages are being held in perpetuity on radio and other platforms, even though he went home last week. Um, Because I got to tell you, I I just, the guy talks to you, and he's one that I listen to. I could give you a list of people I listen to, and I could also give you a list of people I avoid. But he's one, he would just get up, and he would read a verse and expand on it. That's what I want. I want you to feed me with the word of God. Tell me what God said. So Peter deals, here it is, with the first with the maturity of a leader, then with the ministry of the leader, and now next he's going to deal with the spiritual motivation of church leadership. He says, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain. Uh Uh-oh. Not going after their money but eagerly. Now Peter lists two wrongs and two right two wrong motives and two right ones for serving as an elder or a pastor. Here they are. Here's the wrong ones. None should be money motivated. No spiritual leader should be money motivated. In other words, I'm not here to bless the people. I'm here to get all the money I can out of this deal. Are you with me? I, I don't care about them. I'm a hire. That's what hireling comes from. I've been hired. There's money in this for me, so I'm a hireling. And what what did Jesus say hirelings do? When the wolves come, the hirelings run because they have no investment in the people. They don't care about the sheep. 
But a true God-given shepherd does. And he's not after their, he's not after theirs, he's after them. He doesn't want their, I mean, hey, if you want to give to the church, wonderful. We can use it. And please do support the work. But that's not what I'm after when I'm up here teaching the Word of God. I, I want you to grow in the faith into the fullness of the stature of Christ. I want you to be successful. I want you to be victorious. I want you to bear fruit. I want you to find your gift and use it. I want you to grow into maturity. I want you to be ready when Jesus comes. So Peter deals with the motivation. The bottom line motive of some people in ministry, a lot of them, is money. And there are some that just get filthy rich off of ministry. My personal belief about that is some of them will be included in Jesus' words and in the scenario Jesus painted when he said, when I return, there's going to be some saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we do many mighty miracles? He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So in other words, they were using the name of Jesus for profit, not with the right motives. And Jesus never knew them. The second wrong motive for pastoring is of being under constraint. In other words, you've been forced to do it. He says, don't don't do it for dishonest gain and don't do it by compulsion or under constraint against your will. You don't want anybody leading you that doesn't want to be there. You don't want anybody leading you that has not been appointed by God to do it. This wrong motivation breeds resentment in the leader. Am I really preaching again today? Is it really Sunday again? Oh my goodness. Oh, here we go again. (laughs) Story is told of a senior pastor. And he woke up one Sunday, this reminded me of this, and he he said, I don't want to go today. And so he said, I'm just going to call in sick, and I'm going to have my associate preach. So he called in, lied, said he was sick, couldn't come. Gabriel in heaven is watching the whole thing. And turns to Jesus and says, can you believe that? Your man just lied to not preach. What are you going to do about that? Well, the Lord didn't answer him. Well, the preacher puts on his golf clothes, goes out and gets his golf clubs, Hops in the car and goes to the golf course. Tees up. And he's feeling great. He says, my associate will do a great job. God bless him. Here we go. And he drove the first ball. It sailed left. It hit a tree. It bounced off. It ran along the edge of a pond. Hopped up onto a turtle. The turtle walked out onto the course and dumped the ball, and it rolled right into the hole. For a hole in one. Gabriel turned to Jesus again and said, what are you doing? You blessed him. You blessed him. Look, you gave him a hole in one. And Jesus said, ah, but who can he tell? Y'all are with me. All right. Everybody say, no one. Boy, you know when I told y'all I was sick, I got a hole. No, he can't do it. 
All right. That's free. I'm not a comic, but that's a good one. All right. Um, Peter says the true pastor will do it willingly. He'll do it willingly. All right. Peter says he'll do his work eagerly with passion and zeal. Now, that'll come and go sometimes. It's not like you're always red hot. I need to rekindle the flame uh, fairly often. But I've never lost the fire. I've never lost the deep inner motivation to minister the word of God. He put that in me. And I will do it, Lord willing, until the day that I go home. Amen. Now, then he mentions the spiritual manner of shepherding, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Uh, Pastors were never intended to be permission givers. I don't want to be your permission giver. I got enough dealing with my own life. But there are some who want to be permission givers. Uh, we, we, We were never called to tell you when you can go on vacation, who you can marry. Sometimes I'll warn you about who not to marry. You better watch out, but I don't want to control you. I don't want to control you. And there's control freaks that are in, the, that are in leadership in churches. I mean, they'll even come to your house uh, at the end of a month and say, why haven't you tithed yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's been done many times. Can you imagine that? Ding dong. You go to the door. Uh, I'm here to collect. We haven't gotten your tithe yet this month. No, we weren't called to be manipulative or power hungry or power brokers. That's what cults do. Show me a cult. They want control of you. And that's the first thing they start doing. They get control of you. They isolate you from your loved ones. They isolate you where they got you alone. Then they start controlling you. Right down to where you go, what you do, how you spend your time, who you spend it with. They control you. No, he said, not as being lords. There's only one Lord. And I'm not it, and nor do I want to be it. True pastors are called to lead and feed, sometimes to correct and sometimes to counsel by the wisdom of Scripture, but we're called to lead by example, not coercion. I can't control you. It's useless to even try nor do I want to. From the flock's point of view, uh, they, the leadership, are to be respected and their authority submitted to so long as their counsel and direction come from the Bible. They are placed where they are to watch over your souls as those that will answer to God. Now, I'm going to just be a little transparent here tonight. I have found that this principle of accountability to leadership, submission to church leadership, is almost wholly lost on on the body of Christ today because it's been lost almost wholly on the culture. And the culture comes into the church. Okay? Now I'm going to go a little further and tell you, particularly in charismatic churches. You know why? Because we can always default and blame God. I was led. Uh, We can blame God for our own instability and inability to be stable and faithful. So we blame God. Well, I just left, I just did this or that because he, he led me. 
Well, who can argue with if God told you to do something? I can't argue with God. But you got to be careful because the Bible says when you come into a church fellowship, anytime I've been in a church fellowship when I wasn't a pastor, um, I wanted to know what my leadership thought about major decisions in my life. I didn't want their permission, but there were times I sure wanted them to pray with me about something. And if I was going to leave a church, I went and told them. Now, I was only in two churches until I started pastoring myself because I was in them for years. I was very faithful, true blue. I mean, just once I had a home, I was home. I was not like a bee that visits all these different flowers, depending on how you feel on any given Sunday. I had one main flower. Now I would go and visit if they had something special in other churches, some special event that I was interested in, but I stayed primarily faithful and rooted in one place. That's called stability. What's what's stability? The ability to stay. Amen. Oh, me. I've seen people come into it. It's not just me. I was listening to Pastor Cimbala recently, and he he brought a message uh, where he just talked just about this, about how easily people come and go. He said, we used to call it the church of the open door, where the door was wide open and people were coming in and getting stable. Now it's the church of the revolving door. And his message was called the church of the revolving door. He said, they'll come in, they'll sit there for six months. Hallelujah, kumbaya, praise the Lord. And then you look out there one day and go, where'd they go? They went to another flower, another restaurant. Quietly in the night, the leadership just kind of has to wake up and realize one day that they've been gone a while. No word. And yet, you've married their living, buried their dead, walked them through hell and back in many different uh, 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 different scenarios and problems. But then when they go, they just boop. It's, it's weird. I never, just me, I can only talk for me. I didn't do that. I left two churches. One of them was to take, well, they were both to take a new ministry position. Both of them. One of them, Beverly Hills Baptist Church, which was not Baptist. It was extremely spirit-filled. We got kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention, as a matter of fact, because we started praying for the sick, and they didn't like that. So we got kicked out. And the church exploded. And Brother Howard Knatzer, Sonny's daddy, was my all-time favorite pastor. I loved him. I studied that guy like a hawk. And he's the one that first gave me my chance at a pulpit. I never stood behind a pulpit until he asked me to. And I was a nervous wreck. Because here behind, he looked like Moses. White hair, piercing blue eyes, square jaw, six foot two, deep booming voice. And I used to go up to him and ask him a question and totally forget what I was going to ask. Because to me, he was Moses, right? So here, here I am preaching this one Sunday night, and Moses is right over here. And other big names are up here on stage as Beverly Hills became famous. And I got my first shot at preaching in a church behind a pulpit. But 
I only left Beverly Hills when I got an offer to be an associate pastor slash youth pastor in a church in Palestine, Texas. And I took the offer to my leadership. I said, pray with me about this. I'm not going anywhere unless God gives me a peace and you a peace with me. I wonder how often that occurs to some people. And they all came back and said, we have a peace, Jeff. Go. Now, I had a college and career class of 500. I was over the college and career ministry. This church exploded. 4,000 people on a Sunday morning, easy. And, I, and so I had 500 on my roll. I said goodbye, only by the leadership of God. Only other time I did it was to start my own church. And that was from the church I ended up in after I went to Palestine. So I never, I never left my churches without a divine amen and being sent. I so believe in being sent. So this current church culture has befuddled me. It has perplexed me. But it's the culture coming in. I don't owe you anything. I don't respect authority. I'm not accountable to anybody. I do what I want. I'm being led. And off they go. I don't know about you, but I believe in being sent. You know why? Because in the book of Acts, Paul and the other missionaries were always sent. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost to send you. And they went. That's free. That's not in my notes. I'm just telling you tonight. Amen? And by the way, we were sent here. We were sent here. We didn't just come here fly by night. We were sent. And I would not go never to start a work for God if I wasn't sent. No way. Okay. One more verse, and then I'm going to let us go a little bit. Is it okay if you go a little bit early tonight? Are you okay? Like at 8 o'clock straight up because of, are you okay with that? Give me a nod. Yay, nay. Uh Uh-oh, I got some nays out there. Okay. Um, Now, next Peter is going to talk to the sheep. So now it goes from me to you. Here we go. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, here's a principle we all recognize. Most have heard the phrase, respect your elders. This springs out of the forgotten practice of honoring authority. I can remember when I was starting out in ministry, being surrounded by seasoned men of God. Uh, God surrounded me with some good ones. And I consider that I'm standing on their shoulders tonight. And they've been around the mountain a few times. They were fruitful, and God put them over me. And I studied them. I learned from them. I watched them. And let me tell you, I was there when they made some decisions I didn't like or I didn't agree with or that I really wondered about. But out of sheer respect for their spiritual authority position, I kept my mouth shut. I just didn't say anything. Okay? I didn't say anything. I didn't go out and, why are they this? Why are they that? I'll tell you a true story, and then I'm going to stop for tonight. 
But I want you to catch this because I want to deal with things that have been lost. I'm not necessarily saying about you. I'm just talking about the church at large in the West. It's been lost. Um, The respect for authority. Recognizing that authority, or I could call delegated authority, God delegates authority. He, He has to. Any army delegates authority. There's no army, no navy, no marines, no nothing without delegated authority. There's people at the top, and they delegate pieces of their authority to people underneath them. If you're wise in the military, you learn to respect that authority, whether or not you like the person. Okay? You don't say to a sergeant, you know, I just don't happen to like you, so I'm not going to do what you say. No, you just, yes, sir. Right? Delegated authority is the way God runs the world, all right, in in everywhere. We're in a culture right now, dear church, that is attacking authority, undermining authority, disrespecting authority, uh, attacking authority to their own hurt. Because understanding delegated authority means whatever I think about this person, they have a position that God has given them. And so I'm, I'm going to, I'll respect the position. We parents, we have delegated authority. I mean, and, and anybody in here that's a parent perfect? Y'all are quiet tonight. Any perfect parents here tonight? Raise your hand. Of course not. And yet you expect your children to respect you and do what you say. Am I right? Okay, why? Because you have authority. You're their parent. It's delegated. In exactly the same way, God delegates authority, and, and we're to respect it. That means, and here's what happened to me. I was going to a church, the second church that I left. Um, but while I was there, I badly needed this church. I needed the word of God from this church. I needed to be strengthened. I needed to be encouraged. We drove one hour, one way to get to this church. And because I was so hungry, and I was at a time in my life, it was a wilderness time, and I needed to hear a clear, red-hot word from God. I needed that church. But we had a couple of friends that were uh, on staff at this church. I'll go even further and say they actually, the man had actually married me and my late wife, Kathy. He was the minister. So he was on staff in this church. And we would go and get with them pretty often. And we started going over to their place uh, and uh, Friday nights, for instance. And it got to where every single time we went, he started bleeding about that church, criticizing it, undermining it, okay? And it got really bad. And then Kathy and I would drive, we'd drive away and go, golly, I don't know about this. This is hard. And eventually... After a few months of this, because it was every time, you know, the pastor this, the pastor that, the elders this and that, they shouldn't be running it like this, they should be doing it like that, and all this on me. I so badly needed to be able to believe in my church. So we decided we're going to have to tell them. These were lifelong friends. But it came down to what's more important to me, my spiritual growth 
my ability to receive from God and grow? Or, my friends, it was hard. Because even before I was married, they took me in and let me live with them because I had nowhere to go uh, at one point. And they were the best marriage I'd ever seen. So we decided, okay, this week we're just going to have to tell them. I can't talk about the church anymore. So we got with them, and I said, hey, let's, let's say his name was Bob. It wasn't, but here we go. Bob, Bob, lately, every time we're getting together, you're, you're, you're running the church down. And I know you're having struggles with it. I know it's bothering you. But, Bob, I can't listen anymore. I need you to talk about things that edify me. I can't listen to my church being run down like this. Because i got to believe in my church. And you need to take your issues up, not vertical, not horizontal. I'm a sheep. You're on staff as a pastor. You ought not be dumping this on me. Right? And he did. And boy, it went all over his face. And long story short, they ended our friendship. They ended it. It hurt him. And they ended it, and they got distant from us, quit inviting us over. He's in heaven now. There's more I could say, but I won't. But here's the deal. You can't, nothing is worth your spiritual growth. And and somebody like this man, who I love to this day dearly, um, when you're in leadership, You've got to honor the place you're leading in. You can't undermine it, especially to the sheep. And the sheep, if somebody in leadership here, you start, if they start dumping on you critical about the church, you ought to exit. Quit quit getting around it. Because they should take it up, vertical, not horizontal. That's just the way you do it. Now, that's what Peter is saying. I recognize delegated authority. Whatever faults my pastor at that time had, and he had faults. Guess what? So do I. Everybody does. He had faults. And some of what he was telling me was true. But you know what? It wasn't my business. I didn't need to hear it. Because it wasn't heresy or anything like that. So, stand up with me, would you? How many of you are good tonight? All right. So we need to be smart in local church. Because don't you know the devil would love to take this down. Any church reaching people for Jesus has a great big target on their chest. So we got to be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Lord, we just thank you, praise you, and bless you for your goodness for your watch care over us. Lord, we do know that if something is truly badly wrong in a church, then the sheep do need to know. But we also know if it's just things we don't like, things we don't agree with, we don't need to be affecting others. But Lord, we need to recognize delegated authority because those in leadership are watching for our soul. And Lord, we just thank you that the chief shepherd 
Jesus, our Savior, is coming back soon. And we thank you for it, Lord. We bless you for it, Lord. We magnify your name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Amen.